0: Volume two, chapter four of Gwenwyn. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Gwenwyn, a romance of the Y by Maine Reed. Volume two, chapter four. The Flower of Love Lies Bleeding. There is a crowd collected round the farmhouse of Abegan not an excited or noisy one. Instead, the people composing it are of staid demeanour with that formal solemnity observable on the faces of those at a funeral. And a funeral it is, or soon to be, for inside there is a chamber of death, a coffin with a corpse, that of her, who, had she lived, would have been Jack Wingate's wife. Mary Morgan has indeed fallen victim to the mad spite of a monster down went she into that swollen stream which ruthless and cruel as he who committed her to it carried her off on its engulfing tide her form tossed to and fro now sinking now coming to the surface and again going down no one to save her not an effort at rescue made by the cowardly frenchman who rushing on to the chasm's edge there stopped only to gaze affrightedly at the flood surging below foam crested only to listen to her agonised cry further off and more freely put forth as she was borne onward to her doom once again he heard it in that tone which tells of life's last struggle with death proclaiming death the conqueror then all was over as he stood horror-stricken half bewildered a cloud suddenly curtained the moon bringing black darkness upon the earth as if a pall had been thrown over it Even the white froth on the water was for the while invisible. He could see nothing, nothing here, save the hoarse, harsh torrent rolling relentlessly on. Of no avail, then, his hurrying back to the house and raising the alarm. Too late it was to save Mary Morgan from drowning, and only by the accident of her body being thrown up against a bank was it that night recovered. It is the third day after, and the funeral about to take place. Though remote the situation of the farmstead, and sparsely inhabited the district immediately around, the assemblage is a large one, this partly from the unusual circumstances of the girl's death, but as much from the respect in which Evan Morgan is held by his neighbours far and near. They are there in their best attire, men and women alike, Protestants as Catholics, to show a sympathy which in truth many of them sincerely feel. Nor is there among the people assembled any conjecturing about the cause of the fatal occurrence, no hint or suspicion that there has been foul play. How could there? So clearly an accident as pronounced by the coroner at his inquiry held the day after the drowning, brief and purely pro forma. Mrs. Morgan herself told her of her daughter sent on that errand from which she never returned, while the priest, eye witness, stated the reason why. Taken together, this was enough, though further confirmed by the absent plank, found and brought back on the following day. Even had Wingate rowed back up the river during daylight, he would not have seen it again. The farm labourers and others, accustomed to cross by it, gave testimony as to its having been loose. But of all whose evidence was called for, one alone could have put a different construction on the tale. Father Rozier could have done this, but did not, having his reasons for withholding the truth he is now in possession of a secret that will make richard dempsey his slave for life his instrument willing or unwilling for such purpose as he may need him no matter what its iniquity the hour of interment has been fixed for twelve o'clock it is now a little after eleven and everybody has arrived at the house the men stand outside in groups some in the little flower-garden in front others straying into the farmyard to have a look at the fatting pigs, or about the pastures to view the white-faced Herefords and byland sheep, of which last Evan Morgan is a noted breeder. Inside the house are the women, some relatives of the deceased with the farmer's friends and more familiar acquaintances, all admitted to the chamber of death to take a last look at the dead. The corpse is in the coffin, but with lid not yet screwed on. There lies the corpse in its white drapery still untouched by decay's effacing fingers beautiful as living bride though now a bride for the altar of eternity the stream passes in and out but besides those only curious coming and going there are some who remain in the room mrs morgan herself sits beside the coffin at intervals giving way to wildest grief a cluster of women around vainly essaying to comfort her there is a young man seated in the corner who seems to need consoling almost as much as she. Every now and then his breast heaves in audible sobbing as though the heart within were about to break. None wonder at this, for it is Jack Wingate. Still, there are those who think it strange his being there, above all as if made welcome. They know not the remarkable change that has taken place in the feelings of mrs Morgan beside that bed of death all who were dear to her daughter were dear to her now and she is aware that the young waterman was so for he has told her with tearful eyes and sad earnest words whose truthfulness could not be doubted but where is the other the false one not there never has been since the fatal occurrence came not to the inquest came not to inquire or condole "'comes not now to show sympathy "'or take part in the rites of sepulture. "'There are some who make remark about his absence, "'though none lament it, not even Mrs. Morgan herself. "'The thought of the bereaved mother "'is that he would have ill-befitted being her son, "'only a fleeting reflection, "'her whole soul being engrossed in grief for her lost daughter. "'The hour of closing the coffin has come. "'They but await the priest to say some solemn words.' He has not yet arrived, though every instant looked for. A personage so important has many duties to perform, and may be detained by them elsewhere. For all he does not fail. While inside the death-chamber they are conjecturing the cause of his delay, a buzz outside, with a shuffling of feet in the passage, tells of way being made for him. Presently he enters the room, and stepping up to the coffin stands beside it, all eyes turned towards him. His air upon the face of the corpse, at first with the usual look of official gravity and feigned grief, but continuing to gaze upon it, a strange expression comes over his features, as though he saw something that surprised or unusually interested him. It affects him even to giving a start, so light, however, that no one seems to observe it. Whatever the emotion, he conceals it, and in calm voice pronounces the prayer, with all its formalities and gestures. The lid is laid on, covering the form of Mary Morgan, forever veiling her face from the world. Then the pall is thrown over, and all carried outside. There is no hearse, no plumes, nor paid pall-bearers. Affection supplies the place of this heartless luxury of the tomb. On the shoulders of four men the coffin is borne away, the crowd forming into procession as it passes, and following on to the rugs Ferry chapel into its cemetery late consecrated they are lowered into a grave already prepared to receive it and after the usual ceremonial of the roman catholic religion covered up and turfed over then the mourners scatter off for their homes singly or in groups leaving the remains of mary morgan in their last resting-place only her near relatives who have thought of ever again returning to stand over them there is one exception this is a male not related to her but who would have been had she lived wingate goes away with the intention ere long to return the chapel burying ground brinks upon the river and when the shades of night have descended over it he brings his boat alongside then fixing her to the bank he steps out and proceeds in the direction of the new-made grave all this cautiously and with circumspection as if fearing to be seen the darkness favouring him he is not reaching the sacred spot he kneels down and with a knife taken from his pockets scoops out a little cavity in the lately laid turf into this he inserts a plant which he has brought along with him one of a common kind but emblematic of no ordinary feeling it is that known to country people as the flower of love lies bleeding amaranthus Closing the earth around its roots and restoring the sods, he bends lower till his lips are in contact with the grass upon the grave. One near enough might hear convulsive sobbing, accompanied by the words, "'Mary, darling, you're with the angels now, and I know you'll forgive me if I've done aught to bring about this dreadful thing. Oh, dear, dear Mary, I'd be only too glad to be lying in the grave along with you. As God's my witness, I would.' for a time he is silent giving way to his grief so wild as to seem unbearable and just for an instant he himself thinks it is so as he kneels with the knife still open in his hand his eyes fixed upon it a plunge with that shining blade with point to his heart and all his misery would be over my mother my poor mother no these few words with the filial thought conveyed save him from suicide Soon as repeating them, he shuts his knife, rises to his feet, and returning to the boat again rows himself home, but never with so heavy a heart. End of Volume 2, Chapter 4